chapter 30 this morning, Genesis chapter 30, I'm starting a series on Joseph, and I've entitled the series, God Meant It for Good, and Joseph's life is quite an inspiration for every believer, but Genesis chapter 30, and let's look at a few verses here in this chapter, uh, verses 22 uh, through 24, Genesis 30, verses 22 through 24, and God remembered Rachel, and God, God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into several passages of Scripture here this morning, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and may the life of Joseph be a little bit that we will talk to about today. May it inspire us, may it encourage us, may it convict us. And if there be anyone here that's never been born again, may today be that day that they get saved, that Christians will be drawn to a closer walk with you. God, you take control, and we give you all the glory. <clears throat> for it's in Jesus we pray, amen. Joseph, God meant it for good. You know, the pages of our Bible are filled with hundreds of men and women all different uh, backgrounds and different races, but nearly every story contains one common thread. Whether the character is a king or a peasant, whether they are a prophet or a general, whether they're a fisherman or a preacher, nearly every person that's mentioned in the pages of God's Word has a dark side to them, has a flesh like you and I. They... Uh, uh, committed sins. In fact, Noah got drunk. That's right here in the book of Genesis as well. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lied to save their own hides. Moses committed murder. David committed adultery. Solomon was an idolater. Peter call, uh, cursed and lied. John the Baptist, he doubted Jesus. Oh, we could go on and on here this morning and talk about that, but the pages of the Bible are filled with the sins of the people mentioned on its pages. You know, that's where one of the reasons we know it's God's Word. If these individuals wrote it, they wouldn't have put all that sin stuff in there. They'd have made them sound pretty good. You know how it is when you write your own story. Uh, you, you, boy, you look like you're uh, a great, sound like a great person. But uh, here we find they put all the good, the bad, and the ugly in the Word of God uh, because it's inspired by God. But the verses that we, um, that we read here this morning introduce us to a, a man named Joseph. He was just born, and he was the 11th son of the patriarch. Joseph lived to be 110 years old. Now, that's not, I mean, you know, there's others that live longer than he did in the scriptures. But uh, there's not a single sin attributed to this man in the scriptures. Now, that is an amazing thing. He endured trials and afflictions that most people can't even imagine. And nowhere does the Bible even that he that his faith in God wavered. Whether he was in the palace uh, uh, or whether he was in a place of favor at home with his father, or if he was in the prison there uh, and languishing there in that prison, he was the same man. Whether he uh, 
hardships that came into his life, they did not harden his heart. Our riches and power did not corrupt this man. He was the same man regardless of the circumstances where he found himself. That's important, isn't it? How about us? Are we the same? You know, the, the couple that drives the church and, boy, they're at each other's throats and they're getting angry and loud and, and then they get at church, they open the door and say, hey, brother, smile on their face. It changed instantly. But they didn't change the heart, did it? No. This man was the same at home as he was at church. He was the same in every circumstance <clears throat> that he faced. Joseph was truly a unique man. And perhaps uh, this is why the, the Holy Spirit gives such a large place in the scriptures here. Uh, the same as in chapters about uh, uh, Joseph. And then yet there are 25% more verses that are dedicated to Joseph's life. He's mentioned four times in the New Testament. We won't take time to read them. Some are just a little footnote about his name. Uh, Acts chapter 7, you, you remember that in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen was being, or right before he was stoned. He was preaching that powerful message and he used Joseph in his message, uh, talking about his character and, and all how God used him. And they didn't like the truth and they ended up killing Stephen. But Joseph is, of course, if we're going to learn something about Joseph, here's where we're going to find it in the book of Genesis. And um, another characteristic that marks Joseph life is the, uh, the number of areas where his life is a picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, you know, as you study the, his life, you'll encounter over 100 particular points where Joseph's life or that situation was a type of Christ. Uh, again, a very unique man Joseph was. Uh, perhaps we uh, will well, not perhaps, we will look at a few of those as we get through uh, studying his life. But besides being a godly man, besides being a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, the, jo the study of Joseph's life is valuable to all of us. Uh, he stands out as a model of what every believer should be. Now, here's the problem many Christians have today. We compare ourselves to others. I remember before I got saved, I did that. I looked at other guys around me in school, and I thought, you know what? I'm pretty good. Well, that guy, he's a rascal. And he's, he's, he's horrible. I, I don't do that, what he does. I mean, we are pretty good at eyeing the problems of someone else. But we looked at ourselves as being pretty good. And Christians do that a lot, but so do the unsaved. It wasn't until I came to the realization that I was a lost sinner bound for hell, that there was no favoritism. I didn't earn points by my good deeds, that the only way to heaven was through Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that. But um, so here we find that Joseph was a godly man, a type of Jesus, and a model to all believers. He never wavered. He never fell. He never complained. He never compromised. He never lost his power with God. He stood his ground for the glory of God in many terrible situations. If you know the story of Joseph, uh, you'll know I'm, what I'm talking about, but we will get to some of those in time. But his life demonstrates the triumph of faith in the face of, of problems and trials and tribulations in life. So beyond all of that, 
One of the greatest aspects of Joseph's life is how clearly the hand of God is seen on Joseph. Um, the providence of God is on display throughout uh, the narrative of Joseph's life. In every event in the life of Joseph, God was busy fulfilling Romans 8.28, where it says, And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph, uh, he, though he, that had not been written yet, he was seeing that fulfilled in his life, how all these things work together for his good. And I'd like for us to spend, the, you know, just the next several Sundays, whatever it takes, to talk about Joseph. And I'd like to uh, take, look with the chapter, keep your finger there, but look back at chapter 50, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. This is kind of the text of the, uh, the theme of the series here. Genesis 50 and verse 20 says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, Sorry, so I'm still turning there. Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. And that's what we're going to see here. All the things that happened in the life of Joseph, God meant it for good. And to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. So I want to take the, the life of Joseph and preach about that theme, God meant it for good. You and I, as we go through some of the trials that we face, I'll be honest, it's hard for us to see any good in some of those situations. But after we have lived our lives as a Christian, and we're able to look back, and maybe it'll be in glory, we'll see that all things did work together for our good. That God was, was manipulating, planning, working on our behalf. And so... I. Again, we're going to see what, how he did this in the life of Joseph and know that the same God that Joseph served is the same God that you and I serve today. So with that in mind, let's look at, at this, uh, what I've entitled this message here, the first one, don't let your past define you. Don't let your past define you. I'm sure there's some, there's not a huge crowd, but there's some of us here that wouldn't really want all of our past put on the screen up here for everyone to see. Now, this was when I was 10 years old. Oh, yeah, there I am, still in the cookie jar. Yep. And I'm going to skip that. Let me get to one of our teenage years. Oh, my, let's skip some of that. We wouldn't want it all, all of our past. Now, some, maybe some of you here got saved out of a life of sin, and you got things in your life that you don't want to share with everybody. But the good news is this. You don't have to let your past define who you are today. And Joseph is a great illustration of this. We hear a lot in our day about dysfunctional homes. I realize that homes today are in turmoil for sure. Divorces, sins of all kinds, absentee parents, uh, among other, many other evils. Uh, they, these things have left the home in tatters. Is it any wonder we see some of the things happening in our world today? The home is being attacked. Uh, the, the philosophies, the, the truth of God's word is being blocked out. And we have people who are doing things beyond our understanding, wicked things. I mean, just another illustration last, yesterday afternoon, uh, at least nine people killed. Man, how can they do that? Well, there's no sanctity of life today. Uh, there's no 
uh, you know, life, they, they have no respect for life. They're not taught the things of God. They're not taught to respect one another. Well, but anyway, Joseph was a man who uh, was in an environment that wasn't the best. And, you know, we're, we're told then, aren't we, that we will be a product of our environment. That this young man or this young lady, they will not be able to, they can't help it. They will follow in the footsteps of their parents. Their daddy was a drunkard, they will be. Their mother was a foul-mouthed person, they will be. Or she was mean, whatever. And so we're told that our background shapes our lives. And to some degree, that's true. There are things that happen in our life uh, that we, maybe some characteristics, some things that we learn, good things. I, I remember from my dad, I, I, I learned how to work, work ethics, learned how to be on time, how to be dependable. Uh, there were a lot of good things. But we also pick up some of the bad things as well. And how we were raised, that people say, determine how we will live today. Again, to a certain degree, we all uh, are, are byproducts of our upbringing. We, we bring with us all these many things, but thankfully, that isn't always the case. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to, I, I, I'm thankful that I can tell children today who are in an abusive home that you don't have to end up like that. You don't have to, you can uh, see that change uh, if you will give your life to the Lord. Joseph, he blows that theory out of the water. Now, why do I say that? Before he was born, before he was put in a pit, before he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, before he did languish in that prison in Egypt, before he stood before Pharaoh as the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph spent his formative years in a home marked by sin, sadness, strife, and struggle. Yeah, did you ever look closely at his life, his family life when, when he was a boy? Yeah, it's pretty rough. And we'll look, we'll get a picture of it here this morning. But through all of that, Joseph became a great man of God and was used of the Lord in tremendous ways in spite of his past. Don't past define you. Now, let's talk about those early years of Joseph's life, um, those formative years of his life that could have, that could have formed a boy into an evil man. And instead, I, I want you to see that God overcame the problems in Joseph's family, the problems in his upbringing, the pro all the negative influences that were there. God overcame them. So looking at Joseph's family at those early years of, of this boy's life, most people would have concluded that young guy, Joseph, he doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't have a prayer. Look at the home he's in. And so that would have been maybe the response of some today. Um, think about it. Most of his brothers, they didn't turn out too well at all. And uh, God, in, in his providence and by his power, was able to overcome all this negative influence upon the, Joseph's life. But I want you to see God brought, brought Joseph out of an impossible path. I want you to see not mere products of our environment. God can use any one of us, no matter what our past is. And with his help, 
we can break the mold that the world is trying to fit us into. Well, your parents, you know, ha have you ever thought that? You saw a child in a really difficult home, thought, well, they're going to turn out just like dad. They're going to turn out just like mom. Don't encourage that. And remember, God can break that mold. God can change everything from, from what the pattern of the world wants, what the devil wants. God can overcome all of that. And so it, with God, all things are possible. It depends. So how you live your life today, uh, you know, your future, it's not written from, from your past. It's what you do with Jesus Christ today that's going to make the difference. Number one, every birth is a miracle. Oh, listen, we as Christians, we celebrate life. And that sound of little Noah back there doesn't bother me at all because I love children. I love babies. And we celebrate life. And we're not ashamed to say we're against abortion. We're against the murder of children. And every birth is a miracle. But the testimony of Joseph's birth, he was born to a family that is embroiled in the midst of controversy constantly. His father Jacob, now try to follow this. His father Jacob fell in love with his cousin, a girl named Rachel, and agreed to work for her dad, uh, Laban, who was also Jacob's uncle, uh, for seven years. That's in Genesis chapter 29. We're not going to take time to read all these scriptures. We won't have time this morning. But the deal was struck, and after seven years, the wedding day arrived for Joseph and Rachel, I mean Jacob and Rachel. And Laban had two daughters, you remember. His eldest daughter was Leah and then Rachel. And so Leah, you know, or, or Laban, he tricked Jacob, by the way, is, he's known as the trickster. Laban, his uncle, tricked him. And so he sent his eldest daughter, Leah, to Jacob's tent on their wedding night instead of Rachel. Yeah, that was wrong. But I'm just trying to point out the dysfunction in this family. Jacob spends his wedding night with Leah. In the morning, he discovers the trick. And I won't get into all, I don't know how that's possible, but it did. It happened. And uh, Jacob confronts Laban, who agrees to let Jacob have Rachel in exchange for seven more years of work. And so, but he didn't have to wait seven years. He had to, just a week later, he takes off. In fact, um, within a week, Jacob, his two young wives, um, his, uh, and by the way, they're obviously, they're sisters. And Jacob clearly loves Rachel more than Leah. That's underlined several times in the scriptures. And it sets the stage for jealousy, bitterness, and anger. It isn't long before, uh, and by the way, when he left, uh, they cleaned Laban out. They took everything, or took a lot of things. We'll see what that was in judgment here. But it, it, it isn't long. Leah, she uh, gets pregnant, not once, but four times. And she has sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, uh, one after the other. Rachel, she comes unglued because she can't have children. And that was one of the worst things that could happen to a young woman at that time was to be childless. So she takes matters into her own hands. Again, dysfunction. Uh, and she gives Jacob, her handmaid, Bilhah, to have children in her place. That was never God's will. That was never God's plan. But she, remember, she's taking things into her own hands. Bilhah has two sons, Dan and Naphtali, in Genesis chapter 30. 
and Leah sees this, and now she is, uh, isn't having any more children. And so what she does, she gives her handmaid Zilpah to Jacob. By the way, Jacob, where's his backbone? Where is he, where's he going to stand and say, this isn't going to happen? But he goes along with all of this, and he's pretty passive. We'll see as we, we go through this. And so he, she gives him Zilpah and, uh, to have children. Genesis chapter 30, verse 9, she has two sons, Gad and Asher. And after a time, uh, Leah has herself three more children uh, by Jacob, Issachar, uh, Zebulun, and a daughter named Dinah. And that's, in, again, Genesis chapter 30. Now, are you confused yet? I mean, this is a mess. You talk about a soap opera. This is beyond that. And uh, so Jacob has ten sons, one daughter, Two wives, they're sisters, uh, but his wife that he loves is Rachel, and she still hasn't had a child. So God in his providence hears Rachel's prayers, her pleas for a son, and that's when Joseph is born, Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24, we just read earlier. And then it's, it's amazing that anyone could survive the, the pain and the turmoil of those years with that family. I mean, their integrity and their emotions to, to come out of that with all of that intact is just profound. That Joseph was the man he was who was brought up in a home like this. And so look a moment at some of the events that mark Joseph's life. We've already uh, talked about the problems at home. One man with children by four women living under the same roof. It is a, it's a, definitely a recipe for trouble. And add to this the fact that Jacob obviously loved Rachel more and let it be known than the other women, and you have um, trouble enough to go all around. Uh, then at a young age, Joseph and his family make a, a hasty departure from their grandfather, uh, Laban. They flee away under the cover of darkness, as I mentioned already, they, um, uh, because Jacob has cleaned out his his father-in-law, and his father-in-law is now chasing him. And so imagine the fear as your grandfather chases you, not just because he wants to say goodbye, because he wants to do some bodily harm to your dad, Jacob. And so he overtakes the family. He has some pretty harsh words with uh, Jacob in Genesis 31. Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his household gods. Jacob denies this, but it turns out Rachel did this she had stolen these gods and she lies to her father to cover up her theft jacob and laban they make a covenant to stay away from one another it's interesting you read this it almost sounds like a blessing but it wasn't a blessing pretty much what laban is saying you stay away from me i'll stay away from you and pretty much a threat if you don't you're you're dead and uh, it's a threat of and as you travel uh word comes that your your father's brother esau that he is coming out with a of men to meet your family and you're thinking well this is nice i get to meet my uncle but no these aren't good conditions because jacob had how he had treated him uh in his youth and tricks tricking him lying to him deceiving him so he divides jacob divides his flocks he, he tries to give a bribe to his brother esau in genesis 32 and uh, then joseph's sister dinah she is raped by shechem uh and two of his brothers, Simeon and Levi, they tricked the men of the city. And the Bible tells us they eventually killed them all. This is two of Joseph's brothers. Nice guys. 
Um, but they killed all these men in that city. And Deborah, uh, Re Rebecca's nurse, dies in Genesis 35. And Jacob does uh, nothing to uh, uh, make things right. Rachel, Joseph's mother, dies while giving birth to a, his little brother Benjamin in Genesis 35. Reuben, the oldest brother, commits incest with his father's concubine, Abilhah. I mean, it's a horrible, dysfunctional mess. And Jacob knows about it, but you know what Jacob did? Nothing. He didn't do anything. Joseph, his other grandfather, Isaac, died. Centered men. Jacob was a passive father who allowed his children to do whatever they wanted to do, pretty much, with no consequence. Jacob was also guilty of favoritism. He loved Joseph more than any of the other children. And um, also, um, Joseph lost his beloved mother at a yet very early age. He was uprooted and moved at a young age. He was surrounded by rape, murder, incest, treachery, intrigue, idolatry, jealousy, death, and hatred. A very negative, hostile environment for any child to be raised in. And as some of you, as you look back at your own upbringing, you're saying, man, that maybe brings up some bad memories. And maybe, you know, you, you might have been brought up in a violent home. Maybe you had, were brought up in a home where there was a lot of drinking, maybe drugs, maybe there was just hellish living, and, and some may have been physically or sexually abused. And hearing what J Joseph faced may dredge up some of those bad memories, but let me encourage you. Place your past into the hands of God. Place your past under the hands of a sovereign Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your past define who you are today. You may have been through all that. Maybe you're starting out a path and you've heard some say, Now, maybe that was a good thing. I know I've heard that phrase. Well, you talk like your dad or you walk like your dad or you, you have some of the same... Uh, uh, attitudes, maybe look a little bit like your dad. But if it's a bad thing, there's some things that he did that you don't have to, to uh, let your past define you. Trust him for the grace to live with the memories and, and the strength to avoid uh, making the same mistakes that were made in your family. Now, where did all this dysfunction come from? Well, it started when Abraham asked Sarah, his wife, to lie to lie about the relationship in Genesis 12. The, the foundation for future turmoil was laid when Sarah took matters into her own hands and gave Abraham uh, her handmaid Hagar to uh, be his concubine in Genesis 16. The problems in that family, even in, you know, in fact, in every other family, are passed down from generation to generation. They don't have to be. But that's what happens often, isn't it, sadly? And because those people are allowing their past to define them. Or maybe they don't ever have the opportunity to hear about God and to hear the power that they have available to them to break that, uh, what some may call a curse. I don't, don't believe it's... The problems that exist in this home, uh, and in fact, if there's problems that as you look back, Realize you can avoid that. You don't have to, to go along with it. Just for the record, here's, here's how to build a dysfunctional home. 
be less than truthful with one another, be jealous of other family members, demonstrate favoritism uh, to your children, try to help God accomplish his will, um, or try to uh, help God accomplish his will, or not do it in, in your home, and practice deception so you can get away, um, get your way, operate outside the will of God, on and on. That's how to create a dysfunctional home. But let me give you some positive things that happened. Not all was bad in Joseph's home, but there are some positives. Not everything was negative. There were uh, uh, just a few things. One night, Jacob, he sent his family out, out ahead, and he stayed behind to pray about that upcoming meeting with his brother Esau. And you may recall the story in Genesis 32, Jacob had an encounter with God that night. And it changed his life forever. And when he catches back up with his family, he's limping on one leg because of that encounter. And he tells them, them that he had a new name. God gave him a new name. And no longer is it going to be Jacob. It's going to be called Israel. And uh, not Jacob, which means trickster, deceiver, heel grabber. And his name will be Israel, which means prince with God. Jacob has a new name. Jacob has a new walk. He has a new life. He would never live like a trickster again. Now, surely that change in his dad had an impact on Joseph's life. No doubt about it. God calls Jacob to come back to Bethel. Jacob demands that they do away with their false gods. Remember that? Jacob said, we've got to get rid of all this stuff. It was my uncle's. We should have never taken it with us. We should never, I should have never allowed it to stay with our family. And he, he got rid of them. He calls his family together and says, we're going to worship God, and we're going to worship God alone. Jacob builds an altar, worships the Lord, gives the testimony how he first met the Lord there in Genesis 35. Surely that had an impact on young Joseph's life, seeing the change and seeing the uh, sanctification in the life of his father. And then in Genesis 35, 5, it tells us that as this family journeyed, they... Um, enjoyed divine protection they were surrounded by warlike tribes but they were never attacked this must have again made it quite an impression on joseph as so most we can find flaws upbringing and if we look close enough yet most of us can look back and see times when god revealed his hand i am thankful for people in my life who were positive influences I'm thankful for a mother who loved God and encouraged me to be in church, encouraged me to uh, follow the scriptures. I'm thankful for a Sunday school teacher who cared for my soul. I'm thankful for a man in my church who said, you know, I, I want to help out. I want to do something. And he paid my way to go to Bible camp where I trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm just thankful for those kind of people. And you can never underestimate the importance of the positive influence on a child's life. Think about uh, some of the children that we have come in. They, they, don't, they don't live in a home that's a stable home in some cases. Some, they, they don't have parents that love the Lord or even encourage them to go to church. In fact, many times it's the other way around. And so we need to be an encouragement to them. Don't just say, well, that little brat, hey, he's going to wind up just like the rest of them. I, I'm, I'll be honest. There's been some times I've dealt with young people, and I said, man, how does they, they might as well just take that young guy to prison right now. He's, he's going to wind up there. I did that one time I said that, and the guy, young man did end up in prison. I felt bad about that, but 
But you know, we don't, we don't know that. We, don't, we ought not place their past or what they're going through now on their lives. God can change all of that. And you might be the key that has an impression on the life of that young person that's good for Jesus Christ. Well, Joseph had those good things. And, and in Joseph's case, the positive influence seemed to have the most impression upon him, more than the negative. And I, I think the same can be said about our life as well today. Every life has its ups and downs. It's true. If you think that because your life is not perfect and it's not going the way that you thought it should go, well, listen, you're not alone. I mean, all of us face trials and tribulations. We face troubles. But there is a message of hope here. If the early years of Joseph, Joseph's life teach us anything, anything, they teach us that our childhood, if it was bad, it doesn't have to determine how we turn out now. It doesn't have to ruin our lives today. Your past should never be allowed to define you. Just because you came up rough doesn't mean that you have to live that way the rest of your life. Just because you were raised around harsh words, violence, and uh, you know, tempers that always flared does not mean that you have to use the same words and uh, display the same temper. You can overcome your past with God's help. Joseph did it. I don't know of anybody who had uh, the same situation that Joseph had. It's pretty rough. And so to, to, to look at how you act and, and you say, you know, sometimes we say, well, that's, preacher, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I was raised. That's a cop-out. For you to say to someone, well, I can't help it, I was raised that way. That is a cop-out. People say, well, my mother was ill-natured, and that's the way I am too. <laughs> you remember Brother George Reeser always talked about his Irish wife, Mrs. Reeser. She's still living, 101, is it, I think? And, um, and he talked about that Irish temper. Uh, but that's not a gene that doesn't have to be passed down from generation to generation. By the way, I've never seen that temper in her. She's always been such a sweet lady with me. Maybe Brother George brought that out of her. Um, very possible. And so, so here, uh, it, it's how you choose to be. It's not the way you can't help it. It's how you choose to be. Others say, well, my parents were negative, and so am I. Can't help it? No, it's how you choose to be. Others say, well, uh, a bad temper runs in my family, and I guess I... Come by it naturally. No, it's how you choose to be. To blame your actions on people, on family in your past, is nothing more than a smokescreen for a heart that refuses to repent of its, your sin and get right with God. You choose. God will change you if you let him. God will work in your life if you seek him. And so... Uh, what if people like Peter, Paul, King David, what if uh, King Messiah, what if they had adopted the attitude of a lot of people today? Well, we can't help it. It's the way our family was. No, they never would have accomplished anything. They all had pain. They had problems in the past, and they overcame them. How? With the help of God and, and committing to doing what God wanted them to do. There is a message 
of home as well. Not only hope, but home. If we take anything away from the home of Joseph, it is the truth that our homes should be sanctuaries of godliness. I'm going to have to wind it up right in this point here. I'm running out of gas, but uh, it's hard for me to speak today. But anyway, I, I also don't want to keep you too long. because. I, but let me leave you with this important truth. Every mother, every father in this room today should fall down before the Lord and ask for his help to have a godly home. A godly home. It should be a place where Jesus Christ rules. It should be a place where his praises are heard, where he is Lord, where he is honored at all times. Let me ask you, Mom, Dad, what do your children hear coming out of your mouth? I hope, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers because I don't know anything. I'm not trying to pretend that I know what's going on. I don't. But God does. But what do your children know? How you behave with, with your, uh, your spouse at home. How you... Uh, 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 the words, how you respond to some negative thing that occurs. Do they hear words that would honor the Lord? Do they hear a, a desire in your heart to have your children walk in the ways of Jesus Christ? I'm just saying, you know, De Deuteronomy talks about us teaching as parents, teaching our children diligently the word of God. That implies that we are to work hard at this. It's not a passive thing. It's not okay, I'll put a video in and let them watch it. I'll, I'll put a, a tape on, and if you still have those things lying around. I'll put a message on and let them hear the preaching of the Word of God or Patch the Pirate, you know, all those good songs, and they can hear that, and they will be taught. Well, those, those, there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm just saying if that's all you're doing, it's not enough. They need to see God in you. They need to hear from you what this preacher is saying. They need to hear from you what the Word of God says and not something contrary to it. It should be a place where Jesus Christ rules, where, you, where Jesus Christ is, is put, is prominent in the home. Our homes must be places where children can hear the gospel and see the gospel lived out in the lives of mom and dad. Our homes must be places where the Bible is read, honored, and lived. Yes, we may protest that they've taken the Bible out of schools, they've taken prayer out of school, they've taken the Ten Commandments down every public building, but they haven't passed a law that did that in your home. And you and I, we have a responsibility to our children, our grandchildren, to make a home that will honor God, that will make a home that will impact them, influence them for the things of Christ. So, is the Bible read? Is it honored? Is it lived? Our homes should be places of worship where Jesus Christ is lifted up. We should not uh, be anxiously trying to get the kids to bed because, I don't know, maybe we want to see something that they shouldn't see or do something that they should not partake in. Our homes should be places where the voice of the Holy Spirit is able to speak to hearts and to lead us to do the right thing, to, to live, to walk in the right path. Whether you have children or not, you ought to pray to that end right there. Every home that makes up this church, every family here, we should stand as a shining light 
for other homes in the church as well as in the world. They, they, we should be, whether we like it or not, as a Christian, we are on a hilltop. And we are in a place where others are going to watch us. You go to work and you tell them you're a Christian, they're going to watch you. They're wanting you to mess up. And then they want to, you know, jump on you and say, yeah, I thought you was a Christian. I, that's not fair, but it is true. It's reality. And so let's ask God that, uh, for the strength to be a Joseph, to say in whatever situation I face, that I'm not going to, my faith is not going to waver. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be that shining light for Jesus Christ, that reflector of his love, of his, his uh, goodness and righteousness. So let God have his way. Let's have everything.